Good morning. It is awesome. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I invite you to stand to your feet. And for our call to worship this morning, uh, let's do call and response. I'll read the leader portion, and you all uh, read aloud the all portion. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He remains faithful forever. And gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord loves the righteous. And sustains the fatherless and the widow. The Lord reigns forever. Let's sing this out. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. Yeah. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. All right, let's lift our voices. Here we go. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. It's every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Yeah. What I see is the cross, God, you see an empty tomb. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. An almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, 
you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. An almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Sing how great the chasm, how great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. In Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning. That sealed the promise 
Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. Amen, indeed. Well, good morning, uh, church. Good to be with you all. Uh, my name is Reed Kappel. I serve as one of the pastors here at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. If you're new, if you're a guest, uh, we're glad you're here. It's a joy to worship with you. And so no matter what you bring with you into this space, no matter what you are feeling, what you're carrying, uh, our hope and prayer is that you would be found by the God of all comfort who meets us in our afflictions, our burdens, our worries. And so it is a joy to be together with you. If you are new, if you are a guest, uh, we'd love the chance to meet you, to get to know you. Uh, If you would stop by the welcome table in the lobby, over by the hello wall, we'd love to share more information about who we are and ways for you to be connected here. And so please stop by there and learn more about our church. Um, We would love to also pray with you and for you. And so if we can be praying with you, we would love to do that. We gather as a staff on Tuesdays to pray for our church family, and so you can see the information on the slide for ways to submit prayer requests and ways for us to join you in both your your joys and your sorrows. So we'd love to pray with you. Um, If you would at this time pass the clipboard, so somewhere on your aisle or row, you'll find the clipboards, fill out that information, let us know that you are here. Uh, If you are joining us online, either now, uh, live, or later, uh, you can also text the word Olathe to the number on the screen uh, to let us know that you are here as well. And so, again, it's a joy to gather with you. Um, One of the things that, that we believe deeply is that the local church, as God has designed her to function, is the hope of the world. And that when you participate in and join in and give towards the local church, you are participating in God's work of bringing hope to a broken world. And so if you would like to join us in that form of worship, we encourage you to do so either online, through your mobile device, or uh, through the uh, offering boxes on the back wall. Uh, A few things to highlight going on in the life of our church. If you are new or new-ish, we have something called Newcomer Coffee. We offer this periodically throughout the year, and that's happening today during our second service. So if you're here for this service, you're welcome to stick around for Newcomer Coffee. It will be upstairs um, in the Student Center. And so this is an opportunity to connect with um, other new folks, meet some of our staff, 
And so you're welcome to join. There's no reason or no need to sign up. Uh, so please join us for that after uh, first service upstairs in the student center. Um, second is our Woodland Drive. So Woodland Elementary is one of our great local outreach partnerships. Uh, actually, one of our longest lasting partnerships here at the Olathe campus. And so we encourage you, if you would like to help our school uh, get ready for the school year. And one of the great ways that we can serve our community is by serving our local schools. And so one of the great needs they have are providing snacks uh, for kids. And so if you have ever been around a child, you know the great power that snacks have in bringing calm and respite. Uh, If you've just been around a human, you know the power of snacks. But I encourage you, if you would like to donate a nut-free, healthy, prepackaged snack, you can bring those items by August 7th. And then in addition to those items, we are collecting school supply kits for Woodland. You can get a list of those needed supplies at the welcome table out in the lobby um, and bring those, as I mentioned, uh, by August 7th. And so there are many other events happening. You can check out our events page. Uh, this Tuesday, actually, we have our, uh, our men's uh, Frisbee Fire and Fritos. Sounds very dangerous and tantalizing. But if you're interested, join us for that event. It's on this Tuesday. But that event and others you can find on our events page on our website. So uh, I invite you to stand to greet those around you as we continue in worship. Alone in my sorrow, alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began, sing, Ash was redeemed. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. And my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began. Let's sing this out together. Oh, your grace so free 
washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your end. Let's love pouring down on us. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. Our Savior, our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with thy freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your end. Let's love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yeah, we're free, free, forever. Amen. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yeah, we're free, free, forever, amen. When death was arrested and my life began, when death was arrested and my life began, that's when death was arrested and my life began. Yeah, that is worth celebrating. Thank you. All right, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture this morning is found in John um, chapter 8, verse 31 through 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you speak, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. 
I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. You would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Because he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Tom, and uh, welcome to the uh, Olathe campus. I almost said Leewood campus. Sorry about that. Uh, and uh, those of you who are online, uh, we welcome you here as well. So it's a delight to be with you. And uh, I just give you warm greetings from across our city. We are a part of a much larger church family. Uh, our Leewood campus, our downtown campus, our Shawnee campus, as well as our Brookside campus. So greetings from uh, our broader uh, Christ community family. Now, growing up, I heard a lot about freedom. Uh, my generation, I'm a boomer, as you probably picked up, uh, had an incredible passion for freedom. We understood freedom as throwing off the confining shackles of the generation ahead of us. We pushed back against moral values, social decorum, confining traditions, and corrupt institutions. This was the boomer's generation. Many of us in the educational stream of things drank deeply from the well of Philosophers, Enlightenment philosophers like Rousseau. Rousseau viewed human freedom and the quest for human freedom as a life free of all moral or social restraint, particularly in sexual freedom. Rousseau put it this way. This was the theme of a generation. Man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. And one of the iconic figures of this time was Janis Joplin. She's often described by rock and roll historians as the first lady of rock and roll. Now, her life was a deep tragedy. In fact, some of you probably know that on October 4th, 1970, she died of a heroin overdose at age 27. But Janis Joplin is remembered most for a song that Chris Christopherson wrote that actually made it into the top 10. And it was entitled, Me and Bobby McGee. And it captures the dissonance and stress of a generation who is wrestling deeply with the disillusionment of freedom. Let me give you just a few of the lyrics. Maybe you know it. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing don't mean nothing, hun, if it ain't free. No, no. You know, feeling, feeling good was good enough for me. It was good enough for me and me and my Bobby McGee. Freedom, we all long for it. 
After all, we are Americans, right? Most of us, we are the land of the free. But longing for freedom, as good as it may be, can send us on a very perilous quest, leading to some very deep dead ends. Carl Truman, who's one of the most brightest and most important luminaries of our time, a professor at Grove City, wrote The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Day Self and has just come out with a new book that's a little more accessible called The Strange New World. I commend it highly to you. He describes the radical reshaping of the modern self and its misguided quest for freedom. He writes this, man is born utterly dependent on others, but everywhere tries to persuade himself that such an obvious fact is not actually true. So what is true freedom? In our cultural context, freedom is often viewed as the opportunity to do anything I want when I want. Unfettered unfettered freedom of individual choice is deified. It's seen as true freedom. But are we truly free when we are free of all moral restraint or moral boundaries? Or are we truly free when we have the empowerment within us to exercise restraint? And what if our freedom, our quest for freedom as a culture, actually leads to our enslavement? Now, brilliant Jesus spoke a great deal about freedom. And in our text this morning, Jesus tells us what freedom is and where it is found. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. If you're newer to the Bible, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Here in verses 31 through 30, or 47, we have one of the most amazing masterpieces of history. This book has been written and translated by more people and read by more people, most likely than anyone in human history. So where we are in a mastery of terrain here in this brilliant literature. And I want us, as we enter this train, to look at three questions about freedom. First, where is freedom found? What threatens freedom? And how can we experience freedom? This is how the text goes. First, where is freedom found? Now, before diving in, let's set the literary context as thoughtful listeners and studies of the inspired text. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh, He's there for the annual feast of booze or tabernacles. Think of it like Uh, A 4th of July celebration nationally with a religious overtone. Okay, that's what it is. It commemorated God's provision and protection of their ancestors in the wilderness wanderings. And he is standing in this beautiful temple outer court. Now, King Herod built the most amazing temple for the Jewish people. And it truly was one of the ancient wonders of the world. So in this outer temple complex... Jesus is having what we may say in sort of a modified tone, a rather vigorous conversation with the religious aristocracy who are pushing hard back on Jesus. They actually, in the text earlier, view him with disdain, like he's this uneducated Galilean tectone, this carpenter or blue-collar worker, so they have a sense of disdain about him. Yet they're also intrigued by him. In verse 30, the gospel writer points out, many believed in Jesus. Now, as thoughtful readers of the text, you have to ask the question in the narrative, how deep or authentic is this faith in Jesus? And we won't get a clue from John in his literary mastery until the very end of the chapter. So you may want to look at that later, okay? So he tells us a bit about that. Now, look at me in verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews, or Jewish leaders, uh, he said to them who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, whether you've read the Bible a lot, whether you are newer to church, or 
you've uh, just checking out the Christian faith, my hunch is, probably a good hunch, is you've heard these words of Jesus before, right? The truth shall set you free. These are some of the most famous words Jesus ever spoke. Now, I remember I served with a college organization for students, and my wife and I served at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. If you've ever been there, uh, it's on a beautiful campus near downtown Dallas. And uh, i never forget the first day I walked on campus, the featured centerpiece of the campus in its most brilliant Greek architecture features the words of Jesus etched in beautiful marble. So when you enter the campus, there right in front of you are Jesus' words, the truth shall set you free. And every time I walked on campus, I was reminded of the truth that freedom and truth go hand in hand. And without truth, none of us can be truly free. So here in verses 31 through 32, Jesus, you'll notice, connects truth and freedom with himself. That both truth and freedom are found not within ourselves or by throwing off chains of all moral or social restraint or any moral boundary or even as good as it is, confronting systems of oppression. But rather, Jesus says, in the pursuit of an intimate discipleship relationship with Jesus himself. Nor, on the other hand, you'll notice in the text, nor is true freedom found in mere religious efforts. Now, Jesus is speaking to very religious people. And his listeners firmly believed in a certain dogma about freedom. And that dogma about freedom was their devoted study of Torah, particularly the first part of the Old Testament, but the whole Old Testament, would make them really free. Studying the law would make them free. That was the dogma of the time. This was unquestioned, but Jesus boldly crashes through and shatters that dogma and says, that's not the path to freedom. Now, notice where Jesus goes, if you're following along, and John 8, 31, he says, if, notice this condition, if you abide in me, if then, is the logic, if then you are truly my disciples. This word abide is used throughout the New Testament, but it's really prominent in uh, John in his brilliant literary artistry. It appears uh, throughout the text of John. And it brings with us the idea, something very important we must not miss, it's an ever-increasing intimate relationship and all in apprenticeship with Jesus. So here Jesus points us to the one true path that will take us to freedom, the freedom our hearts so deeply long for. So what is that path? We know in the text it is not a path of irreligious unrestraint, God forbid, nor is it a path on the other side of rigid sort of meritorious legalist religion. What is the path? It is a path of wholehearted discipleship with Jesus. See, in our late modern world, when we refer to knowing, we often think, don't we, of having lots of information crammed in our brain that we sort of comprehend. And usually we can spit it out in a test. We may be taking for a certain professional credential or getting through school or entering college. But what does Jesus mean by knowing here? Jesus means by knowing is something that's not primarily knowing something, as good as that may be, but it is primarily knowing someone. Now hold on to that. The idea of knowing and abiding here is not merely having facts, lots of facts, even about God, even about the Bible crammed into our brains. And again, that is a good thing, right, in itself. But rather, it's deeply knowing someone and being known by someone. 
So Jesus is speaking here, the path to freedom is a relational path of knowing, not merely propositional. Now, for example, here's an example. If uh, I asked you, do you know Pastor Reed or Pastor Nathan or Pastor Patrick or Nikki or whoever pastor, you have great pastors here. Let's just say for Nathan, for example, if uh, I asked you, do you know Pastor Nathan? Many of you, unless you've been around a while, yeah, I know him. I mean, you know, I like how he preaches. Nathan always greets me by name on Sunday morning. Some of you may even say, yeah, I know Nathan. I've hung out with him. We've had coffee. Some of you may know Nathan for a long time. And you say, we're kind of buds. But if I asked his children, David and Eden or Kelly, do you know Nathan? How would they respond? They don't respond just knowing factual information about him. They have an abiding intimate, ongoing, deepening relationship with him. Okay? This is the picture Jesus is painting on the path to freedom. It is a knowing of intimacy, of knowing someone, not just knowing something. And Jesus is saying this deep, abiding intimacy, friends, this deep relationship of knowing leads to true freedom. So do not miss that's what Jesus is saying. It's not merely having correct doctrine, as good as that is. It is being intimate with Jesus. So true freedom is experienced in deeply knowing and being known by Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life itself. So here's what Jesus is saying. You ready? Without knowing the person of truth, none of us can truly be now, Jesus says this very explicitly to his listeners in verse 35. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So the thoughtful listener asks, what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus set us free from? And we know in the text what Jesus says is that our greatest, my greatest, and your greatest, and most perilous obstacle to freedom is enslavement to sin. Sin is our greatest enslaver. It is our great obstacle to true freedom. This is what Jesus says explicitly, compellingly in verse 34. Again, if you have your Bible open, look with me in verse 34. Jesus says, whoever commits sin is, not maybe or might be, is a slave to sin. The point is, only Jesus can unshackle our minds, our hearts, our bodies from sin's deceptive and destructive power. This is what Jesus is saying. So he first lays out what true freedom is. On the heels of that, and he says it's found in me as a person, an intimate relationship, and on the heels of this text, he raises the other question. The second one is the threats to freedom. What are the threats to the freedom our hearts long for? Now notice, as the text goes on in verses 42 through 47, Jesus' teaching on freedom brings a strong pushback by many of the religious aristocracy. Religious leaders are clinging to their pedigree, their religious heritage, right, for freedom. They are truly the children of Abraham, right? And Jesus challenges them on their lack of behavior that's commensurate with Abraham. But notice what they do. You notice they, they have a shot not only across the bow, but below the belt, may I say that? They point out and subtly, or maybe not so subtly accused, that Jesus is born out of sexual immorality. Remember, young Mary, Virgin Mary, is uh, conceived or has, as a child and, and not of human origin, right? But they say he is a bastard child. Notice how Jesus does not 
take their bait. He doesn't defend himself, but he moves to the threats to true freedom. And there are two big threats in verses 42 through 47. Let me highlight those for us. The first threat is the disordered loves of your heart and mine. Jesus, notice, says to the religious leaders, see this, if you truly love God rightly, you would love me fully. See that connection in the text. In other words, he says, the loves of your heart are misaligned and disordered. That's where he is. And of course, this is our, perhaps one of our greatest threats, isn't it? In our, your life and mine. And what Jesus is saying is this, true freedom is not to choose as we want, but to love as we ought. Let me say that again, because that crashes against our cultural understanding of freedom. True freedom is not to choose as we want, but as to love as we ought. That is, to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. St. Augustine pointed this out brilliantly in the history of the church, to say that the primary way we see who we are is not by what we say we believe, but how we truly love. And Jesus, again, is saying that, and profoundly, St. Augustine is walking in his shoes. In other words, what we truly love, what you love, what I truly love at a heart level, is seen in our Monday worlds, where we live, work, and play, right? Our attitudes, priorities, actions, and passions. And it's also seen in our engagement in the public square and our civic duties as a citizen of our nation. The first threat is disorder loves, but notice where Jesus focuses. This may surprise you. It surprises me, even though I've studied this text for a long time. The second threat that is so powerful is a threat of Satan's presence and influence in our lives and our world. Look at me at verse 44. Jesus says, these are the words of Jesus, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do the Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is the liar, the father of lies. Now, I don't know if you've read much of the Bible, but that's intense. This is not Jesus' normal rhetorical posture. And they may surprise you or even shock you. But jam-packed in this verse is Jesus' greatest, most complete, and exhaustive teaching on Satan. The idea of an evil one being called Satan or the devil, who is present and active in our lives and world, is a big stretch for the late modern world. And I get that. Yet brilliant Jesus believed without question the evil one's presence, existence, and actions in the world. And this should not speak about the ignorance of Jesus, but rather the blindness of our late modern culture. Notice here in our text, Jesus goes back before Abraham now to the beginning of creation. All across the Gospel of John, you'll notice in our series that the Old Testament hovers over it. The illusions continually hover over it. And here, the Eden world emerges. We have an allusion to Eden. Jesus alludes to the evil one's presence in the Garden of Eden, where mankind was deceived into rebelling against God. So he speaks to these religious leaders. He unmasks before their blinded eyes the true character of Satan. Now let's press into that a bit because this is important to the text and to Jesus. Jesus says of Satan that he was a murderer from the beginning. Think of Cain and Abel if you have that in your mind. And the evil one has nothing to do with truth and there is simply no truth in him. He is not only a liar, he is a father of all lies. So what... Jesus is saying is the great threat to true freedom is Satan who works to deceive all of us 
And let me say, one of his most effective cultural deceptions is deceiving us about freedom itself. This is profoundly evident in our current cultural moment, where the mantra of free choice and the right to choose violates the right to life of God's unborn image bearers, for example. And just a couple chapters later in John 10.10, Jesus unpacks more of Satan's strategy. He says, the evil one comes to what? Notice the order, to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Once again, Jesus unmasked Satan's character and activity here. So what are the tools in our hateful adversary's toolbox? Notice what Jesus says. First, the evil one steals. The evil one takes what is rightly his. He seeks to steal our rightful allegiance and intimacy and devotion to God. He seeks to steal God's glory for himself. And he also kills. He rejoices in the destruction of human life. Whether that is in domestic violence or urban violence or war or the destruction of the unborn. Satan also seeks to destroy. He seeks to destroy all that's good in the world, all that's beautiful. He seeks to destroy harmonious relationships. He seeks to destroy God's good design for human sexuality. He seeks to destroy Jesus' bride, the local church. He seeks to destroy marriages and families. He seeks to divide racial ethnicities and generations and nations, all in the name of freedom. Satan seeks to destroy human freedom. One of Satan's most deceptive strategies is to convince us he doesn't exist on one side, or that he is everywhere like there's a demon behind every bush. In other words, as followers of Jesus, we must not dismiss him or minimize his influence and presence. C.S. Lewis wrote perhaps the best catechistic book ever written on evil. It's called The Screwtape Letters, and if you have young children or youth, I encourage you to read it. I read it almost every year. And uh, if you've not read The Screwtape Letters, again, I encourage you. The story is about, and it's a fictional story, but a, about a senior experienced demon writing to a young protege named Wormwood, unpacking all the strategies of evil. And Uncle Screwtape writes to his young protege, here's one example, we are really faced with a cruel dilemma, he said. When humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we make no magicians, I mean supernatural sort of mystical people. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists, skeptics. Do you hear what Lewis is saying? He's on to something really important for all of us. In any culture, in any person or community, whether they are more atheistic or materialistic, he uses that word, or more religiously inclined, Satan cleverly adapts his strategy to that culture in that cultural moment. Wow. So we need to be aware of his works and discerning as disciples of Jesus who abide in Jesus, but we need not be afraid of him. This is important to grasp. Jesus says, greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. Martin Luther, who understood this from another time period that didn't have the cultural blinders we do today often, saw this clearly in his greatest hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And when you listen to the lyrics of this great hymn of the church, understand the importance of Jesus' teaching here on the medieval church and their understanding. He says this, this is some of the lyrics of this great hymn. 
though this world with devil's fill should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. He goes on to say, the prince of darkness grim, but we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. What is that word? The word is the name Jesus. One word. Amen? So we need to grasp we are not alone in this battle. We live and breathe and work and play and serve in a massive, invisible war. But we're not alone in this. We have each other. Both in creation and in redemption, God designed us to be a prayerful community with others where together we experience together true freedom in Christ. And there is great strength and power when as a unified faith community, we take up the form of God, as St. Paul calls us, in order to resist evil and the evil one in our lives, our families, our community, and in our cultural moment. So where is freedom found? Secondly, what are the threats to freedom that Jesus talks about? And lastly, how can we experience the freedom Jesus offers? Let me suggest three reminders I think are important for all of us this morning. First, number one, embrace Jesus. Embrace Jesus. The path to true freedom, friends, that our hearts so deeply long for begins when we in faith and trust and repentance embrace Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. On that cross, out of unimaginable love, Jesus paid an unimaginable price for you and me that we could have freedom now and for all eternity. We can't earn this freedom. It is a gift of grace we receive by faith. So have you embraced Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And if not, will you embrace Jesus this morning? We express your complete trust in him in silent prayer wherever you are this morning. Jesus loves you beyond what you can imagine. He's there for you. He will hear your prayer. There is nothing you have ever done to keep him from your love, his love. He waits with nail-scarred hands to call you home and to embrace you as his beloved child. Have you embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Secondly, will you take his yoke of apprenticeship? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus invites us to be his apprentice. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is Rabbi Jesus saying? Rest is first emerging in the early chapters of Genesis that describe the delight of living fully into God's design for your world. It is the life you were created to live, only Jesus can give you, now and forever. That's rest. This is the life God had for you in the garden that sin destroyed and that the cross redeems and then the empty tomb gives the exclamation point for all eternity. So how do we begin to experience this life of freedom in our daily, in our daily life? Jesus follows that text. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'll give you the life God designed you to live in the garden. How do we do that? How do we experience that now? 
not just in eternity, but now. Jesus goes on to say how. Take my yoke and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the Jewish imagery of yoke is not something that was in an egg. I just wanted to say that. It comes from the agrarian world of Jesus where two animals were placed together to learn and work together. And as they did, they became just like each other. Rabbis use this to describe in metaphorical imagery of the path of apprenticeship with a rabbi. And Jesus is using this. Now remember, throughout all of scripture, a yoke is viewed what? As the opposite of freedom. It's a picture of enslavement. Jesus often does this. He takes a metaphor embedded in a paradox and gives us an invitation. It is his yoke that is not a path of enslavement or oppression. It is his yoke that brings true freedom. And he invites us into this intimacy of apprenticeship with Jesus. And Jesus says, in his apprenticeship, we find true freedom. Have you responded to Jesus' great invitation to become his apprentice? To learn your life, to learn from Jesus how to live your life like Jesus would if he were you. In every nook and cranny of your life, Jesus is there for you. Embrace Jesus and take his joke. And lastly, true freedom is experienced when we pick up the basin and towel of servanthood. If you remember in the gospel, John, Jesus highlights this. And John does too. Jesus takes, shortly before his crucifixion, you know, he takes the posture of the lowliest servant in culture when he grabs a basin and towel in an upper room and washes his disciples' dirty feet. And notice in that text, he calls us to do the same. Jesus calls us to a posture of serving others. And here, I think, is a truth we need to grasp. We're not only freed from sin when we embrace Jesus. We are freed for service, to serve others with love, and humility. The Apostle Peter puts this way. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Freedom properly understood never leads to selfish indulgence, but rather selfish, selfless service. Let me say that again. Freedom properly understood never leads to selfish indulgence, but rather selfless service for the love of God and the love of neighbor. See, we are never more free than when we are servants. Where is God calling you this week? At home, with your colleagues at work, with your friends, with your family, to pick up the basin and towel and serve them in true freedom. Maybe it's basin and towel as a brother or sister in your family or parents with children or maybe it's in a small group or in this campus a place of service what does this text remind us of we are most free not in choosing what we want but in loving as we ought in Jesus the person of truth we find true freedom the freedom our hearts so desperately long for this is Jesus' words of hope and encouragement to each one of us this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the person of truth. And in you we find true freedom as we abide in you as your yoked apprentices. 
And when we abide in your word and we become your disciples, we find the truth our hearts so deeply long for and our world so desperately needs. We pray this in Jesus' name, the name above every name, the name upon which every knee will bow in heaven and earth for the glory of God. Amen.